The Leaning Tower of Pisa is a bell tower that is part of the Pisa Cathedral in Italy. And it, it's, it's the bell tower that, it's, it's part of the cathedral, but it's, it's freestanding. It's not connected to the rest of the cathedral building. And you've probably seen a picture of it before. There are lots of pictures taken of this building because it's just so strange. It's crooked. It leans. It's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's famous for its imperfectness. This was started to be built back in the 12th century. This is a very, very old building. And get the, can you, do you know how long it took to build this thing? 199 years, almost 200 years it took to build this tower. And interestingly enough, they f- it first started to lean at the very beginning of the construction. Now, it seems like it might have been a good idea to call off the construction and say, oh, wait a minute, this, it, this building is destined for de- destruction. But they didn't. They just kept on. And so they built it and built it. It's clearly leaning. But they kept building it. And 200 years later, they had a tower that was crooked. It was, it was crooked because the ground that it was built on was soft and can't properly support the weight of the structure. In fact, the name Pisa, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, means marshy land. You'd think they would have guessed by the name. And also the foundation of this tower is only 10 feet deep. There's not a strong, steady, deep foundation. They say that the tower is, ha, has been moving at the rate of 1 20th inch per year. So it's, it's been moving. Uh, back in, it, by 1990, the tilt of the building had reached 5.5 degrees. So it had, it had taken a distinctive shift by that time. And between 1993 and 2001, there was a concerted effort to see, can we save the Leaning Tower of Pisa? So they spent a bunch of time, they spent a bunch of money, they got all the experts together in the same room, and they said, how can we rescue the Leaning Tower of Pisa? What can we do? So they did some work on the foundation, and it reduced the tilt to 3.97 degrees. So it was more like 4 degrees instead of 5.5 degrees. And in that process, they they stabilized it for the time. They couldn't fix it all the way, but they, they stabilized it, so it's supposed to be around for another couple hundred years, and maybe by then we'll have better engineering and can figure it out. But the Leaning Tower of Pisa is crooked because it's built on a faulty foundation. The foundation matters. What you build on matters. And today's passage talks about how the scriptures are the God-breathed words that we need to live by. The scriptures are the God-breathed words that we don't just need to hear, but that we need to live by. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Therefore anyone who, excuse me, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
How many of you know the song? Some of you know the song. Some of you as kids, you sang the kids song. We're going to sing a kids song a minute here uh, because I have no shame and I like making a fool of myself with this sort of thing, much to my family's embarrassment. So, all right. Uh, Rachel, yeah, you guys coming up and help me out here. There's some motions. If you know the motions to this old Sunday school song, go ahead and do the motions. Uh, if you don't know the song, just listen and watch the rest of us make fools of ourselves, okay? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. But the house on the rock stood firm. Then there's verse 2. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods went up. The rains came down and the floods went up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand fell flat. All right, then you fall to the ground and that's how it goes. Thank you, thank you. Good job, good job, good job. Then uh, as I was thinking about that children's song, it reminded me of one other children's song that was connected. Because this, this song is all about hearing God's word and putting it into practice. So that reminded me of obedience, and this song came to mind. Obedience is the very best way to show... Oh, I'm seeing this by myself. It's so embarrassing. Okay, it's a good song. I'll keep going. Doing exactly as the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. O B E D I E N C E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. All right, all right, there we go, there we go. I told you I had no shame in there. I just proved it. Yeah, that's how I learned to spell obedience. But it got me thinking about these children's songs. We sing, because we taught kids to sing songs about obedience. You need to obey God. You need to obey your parents. You need to obey your teachers. It's very important, isn't it, that kids learn how to obey? Yes? Yes, it is important. We all agree children need to learn to be obedient. We also, adults, the adults in the room at least, would agree that teenagers need to learn to be obedient. Yes? They need to follow curfew. I hear a loud rumbling of no's in the back where they all sit. But, I, but uh, we all agree there's, there's curfews, there's certain rules of the house, or things in, they need to be obedient. And yet somehow we think that obedience is great for kids and obedience is great for teenagers. But we think that once we become adults, we graduate out of the need to be obedient. We think of obedience as something for the children. We don't think 
oh, now I'm an adult, so I need to be obedient. We think I'm an adult, I can do what I want. I'm an adult, I can make my own judgments about right and wrong. I can make my own decisions about good and bad. I can decide how I want to live or how I don't. We think of obedience as for the children. And funny thing, maybe I'm just missing something, I'm not remembering, but while I can think of multiple children's songs about obedience, I can't think of any adult worship songs about obedience. I think we soften it a little bit, like maybe we'll talk about being faithful to God or being passionate about God. We'll sing those songs. But actually the word obedience, it's not in very many adult worship songs because we don't think deep down that we really need to obey. We think obedience is for the kids. But today's parable from Jesus his teaching, is that we need to not just hear the word of God, we need to obey it. Yes, us adults need to obey the word of God. The parable says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then it says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. What is the only difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Putting God's word into practice. The only difference between the wise man and the foolish man is not that they heard the news, it was whether they were obedient to what Jesus said. Jesus said, Everyone who hears, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you always need to go to the Bible and see what it is there for. So go to your scriptures, open them up, and see what Jesus is talking about, what just happened in the passage before this one. Now, there are, the passages are on the screen, the, the passage for today is on the screen, and scripture on the screen is a good thing. I'm very glad that we have it. But I would encourage you, you are going to get better Bible study if you bring a Bible with you to church, if you bring a Bible with you. Because what's going to happen in times like these, you're going to see a random verse like this, and you're going to see the word therefore, and you're not going to be able to go back and look because I'm not going to show you the previous chapters on the screen. But if you open up a physical Bible, you're going to see that the, these words that Jesus said in this parable are red. The red letters, which means that they're words that Jesus spoke. And if you, are, if you open up your Bible, you can kind of see a few chapters at a time. And you'll see that this passage comes at the end of chapter 7. And the whole beginning part of chapter 7 is also words printed in red. And if you keep on looking, you'll see that all of chapter 6 is printed in red. And all of chapter 5 is printed in red. And so if you're observing and you're looking for these things and you want to see what Jesus' words are there for, you are going to notice that chapters 5, 6, and 7 seem to all be one teaching. In fact, it is the Sermon on the Mount. This passage about the wise and foolish builders, about hearing the words of God and acting on them, is the very, very last piece of the Sermon on the Mount. It is the very last teaching of this big public teaching that Jesus did about what people need to know. Jesus, for the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew 5 it tells us that Jesus went up on a mountain 
And it is making this connection that Jesus going up on the mountain and teaching these things, he, he is, we're supposed to understand he's the picture of the new Moses, that just like Moses went up on the mountain and gave the Old Testament law to the Israelites, we're, we are to understand these parallels that Jesus is going up on the mountain and, he, and he's going to be bringing the new covenant, the, the new law, not, not doing away with the old law, but fulfilling the new law. He, he specifically says that in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we are supposed to be connecting here that Jesus is calling us to obedience to a new covenant. That the people would have understood Jesus is doing a really big thing here. So Jesus has just given three whole Bible chapters of teaching. And he concludes it, it's his final closing sermon illustration, with this little parable about the wise builders and the foolish builders. And he said, these are all these things that you should know. These are all these things that you should live by. And if you do them, you're wise. And if you take what I've just heard and you think, well, that was really nice to listen to. I'm going to go home and do my own thing. And if you don't do what I told you to do, you're foolish. And that's how he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we are reading this passage today, when we're examining this this idea of we need to put God's words into practice, I wanted us to take a little bit of time to review the Sermon on the Mount and what are some of the things that Jesus calls us to be obedient to. What what I really wanted to do was just take the time to read the whole Sermon on the Mount out loud to you, but I timed it and it was going to be like 13 minutes long, so I decided we're not going to do that today because I knew we had testimonies and some other things going on. Not that that's not a bad idea. We, We like the Bible here. We do the Bible. Uh, But I do want to review some things on the Sermon on the Mount so that you understand the context of what it is that we're talking about in this passage. Ushers, you have some handouts to give. Could you please pass those out uh, to to everyone, please? This is an abbreviated list of topics from the Sermon on the Mount. So if we were going to kind of skim through the Sermon on the Mount, these are some of the things that would be brought to our attention. And as, I'm just going to read this whole list out loud. As I read it out loud, I'm going to ask you to examine your heart. Use this list as a, as kind of a checklist, as an accountability list for are these things that I am doing, living faithfully in my life? And just as we talked last week about reading scripture in the company of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to invite you, as we read through this list together, to do so in the company of the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, as we read through this abbreviated list of things, this abbreviated summary of what's in the the Sermon on the Mount, is there anything you want to bring to my attention? Holy Spirit, as as we read through this list, is there anything that you just want to flag and say, hey, pause here, pay attention here. Let's, let's come back and revisit this at some point. So I'm going to read through this and invite you to prayerfully listen. And to, there are little check boxes. So go ahead and, this is just between you and God, but go ahead and, and check off any that you think might need some attention and some time between you and God. Let's begin. Receive it as a blessing when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say evil against you 
because you are a Christian? Is God calling you to obedience with this? Let your light shine before others so they will praise God because of you. Is he calling you to obedience to shine your light? Don't set aside God's commands. He says don't pick and choose which ones, but obey, obey them all. It says you will be judged by God for your anger. Do you need to be obedient to God with your anger? If you remember that a Christian brother or sister has something against you, go and be reconciled to them. Don't hate people. It's like murder. Don't lust after people. It's like adultery. Looking at someone lustfully is like committing adultery with them in your heart. I didn't actually mean to put that in there twice. Uh, sorry. It wasn't like intended to like shame anybody. It just, isn't, it just happened. Be very careful about divorce. Tell the truth and keep your commitments. Do what you say you're going to do. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Is God calling you to obedience here? Love your enemies. Don't retaliate. Give to the needy and do so humbly. Pray and pray humbly. Forgive other people when they sin against you. Fast. And when you fast, do it humbly. Is this an area you need to be obedient to God in? Don't store up treasures on earth. You can't serve both God and money. Is he calling you to obedience with your money and your things? Don't worry about your life. Don't be a hypocrite where you call out the speck in your brother's eye but ignore the plank in your own. Ask, seek, and knock on God's door through prayer. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Take just a moment of quietness in the company of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, is there anything here you want me to spend some time on with you? Holy Spirit, is there anything here I need to obey that I'm not already obeying? So Jesus has just outlined all of these things in Matthew 5 through 7. You can revisit these in your Bible, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. He has just taught about all these things. And he concludes the time by saying, if you act on these things and you're obedient, you're wise. If you don't act on them, you're disobedient and you're foolish. Let's just make a few observations about the wise and foolish builders. 
they both hear God's word. Did you catch that? The wise builder hears God's word and, and acts on it. The foolish builder also hears God's word. The difference is that he doesn't act on it. It's possible to hear God's word, to not do what it says, and to be foolish. It's possible to hear a lot of things and to not take it to heart, to not be obedient to it. James 1.22 says this. Would you read this out loud with me? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let's say that one more time. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Some of us hear the Bible and we think, oh, that is such a great passage of scripture. Good for all those other people who are going to do that. It says, you do what it says. And it says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So church, we do the Bible here. We study the Bible every week. We try to get you into the Bible. We try to expose you to the Bible and help you get immersed in the Bible both here and on your own. So you're in a little bit of trouble because you are being exposed to the Bible, which means that you are accountable. You're hearing the Bible, and now you're accountable to God for acting on what you're hearing. Here's the first point. Hearing God's word doesn't necessarily mean you are living obediently. Just knowing information doesn't guarantee you're going to live it. There's a recent study about doctors and heart patients. And it said that when doctors told heart patients that they were going to die if they didn't change their habits, and these were habits that they actually could change through diet and exercise, but even when doctors told the heart patients they were going to die if they didn't change their habits, only one in seven were able to follow through successfully. They knew the information. But we struggle with change, don't we? And the thing that's challenging to us as Christians is that we are called to be obedient to Scripture, and we're very good at being obedient to some of Scripture. It's just that God calls us to complete obedience. We have to obey the God-breathed word of God. Jesus doesn't say, if you hear the Bible and you understand, you're good. If you understand all the symbolism and all the literary devices in Scripture and you understand the deeper meanings, you understand the prophets, he doesn't say if you hear it and you understand it, then, then you're good. He says if you hear it and obey it. He, he doesn't say if you hear and believe. He says if you hear and obey. He doesn't say, if you hear and admire, oh, that passage of scripture is so beautiful, it's just, I just like it so much. He says, no, that's not good enough. You've got to obey it. Both builders heard God's words, but only one put them into practice. How you live matters. 1 John 2 says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We know we know God if we obey him. God's word doesn't 
Hearing God's word doesn't necessarily mean that you're living obediently. The second observation is that both builders build houses. They both hear the word of God, and then they both see a need to build up their lives. We're all building a life, step by step, stone by stone, brick by brick, decision by decision, minute by minute. We're building a life, right? You only get one chance to do it. We want to do it right. So we we make our lives beautiful. We paint the walls. We bring in nice furniture. We get great Wi-Fi. We do everything we can to build the house to make a good life. 1 Corinthians 3.11 warns, each one should be careful how he builds. Be careful how you build your life. Both the foolish builder and the wise builder seem to demonstrate hard work. They do the hard work of putting their houses together. But Christians, just because you're working hard at building a great life doesn't mean you're necessarily living obediently to God's word. Hearing God's word doesn't necessarily mean you're living obediently. And number two, working hard to build your life doesn't necessarily mean you're living obediently. The third observation is that obedience to scripture is the only foundation for a strong life. We get bombarded with, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian? How, how do I build my life in Christ? What do I need to do? I need to get all these things that I can figure out in order to live a, a life in, in Christ. I'm just going to say your foundation needs to be the word of God. The scripture is God's word to us. He gave it to us. He could have just said it and then we verbally pass it down, but he had it written down, so we've got it in black and white. It is his word. And obedience to scripture is the only foundation for a strong life. Outwardly, your house and my house and the wise house and the foolish house, outwardly, they might look the same. And even inwardly, they might at first look the same. But the difference is underground. The difference is the foundation. What is being built upon? What is the invisible thing you're being built, you're building upon? The foundation is the most important part of the house. If you've ever seen uh, a, a home being built, the first thing they do is they go to an empty lot and they, they clear it of any trees or anything on there, and then they dig a deep hole. And then after they dig that deep hole, they pour a foundation. And they have to wait for all the concrete and everything to set up. And, and then they build the rest of the house on top. They build the walls and they frame it out and build the rest of it. And that second half always goes a lot faster. But that beginning part of laying the foundation always seems to take a long time. And it just doesn't even look like very much for a long time. Most of the time it just looks like a hole, maybe a little bit of concrete in it. But the foundation has to be right. Because if you don't get the foundation right, everything else is going to come down. It takes time to build that foundation. It takes time to dig that hole, to build that foundation. Now, the, wise, uh, the foolish man, d- without building that foundation, would have gotten his house up a lot quicker. The wise man would have had to take a little bit more time to do that. You've heard me reference time a few times recently in the last few months as we talk about the time that is necessary to grow as disciples of Jesus. We want quick-fix Christianity. We want microwave Christianity. We want to be mature disciples like that. But it takes time to build community. It will take your time 
to know the word of God. It will take your time in order to cultivate a relationship with God. God will require your time. And that time is needed so that you can pour that into your foundation. The wise man took time to blast the rocks, to carve and to cut out of the granite. And he made sure that he was building on the right foundation. He didn't cut corners. The final observation, number four, is both the wise man and the foolish man go through a storm. They both go through the storm. Just because there's a wise man who has a foundation doesn't mean that he gets to skip the storm. Just because he's wise and has his foundation where it needs to be doesn't exempt him from the storms. He still has to go through the storm. It's not a guarantee that you're going to just skip out in the storm. The difference is that the wise man still stands after the storm. Both types of builders go through the storms, but only one will survive. Some of you are in storms right now. Job changes, loss of a job, health problems, physical health, mental health, emotional health, loss of loved ones, an identity crisis, just who am I right now? Who am I supposed to become? Who's God making me? I'm confused about that. I'm frustrated with this journey. Some of you are in storms with troubled relationships with loved ones or people you wish you were in re relationship with. Some of us are in storms right now. Storms will reveal your foundation. As Megan shared in her testimony, she talked about how it just so happened that she had been trying to read through the whole Bible and she wanted to kind of quick finish it before the year was over. And so she spent a lot of time in her, her month of recovery reading the Bible. And she was so eloquent the way she said it, and I can't remember what her words were. But, but she said something to the effect of when she reviewed her year, realizing how even though it was a year of such sorrow and suffering and grief and loss, that there was the goodness of God all the way through it. She saw that because her foundation was the word of God and she was spending time building on that foundation. And ultimately, church, judgment day will come. The Bible tells us that all of us will stand before God. All of us will have our foundations be revealed before God for what they truly are. We'll all be tested on that final day. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, it challenges us to keep God's decrees and commands so that it may go well with us and our children. That was the promise of hope that Moses gave it when he was giving the law to Israel. And, and when we have Jesus, the new Moses, giving the new covenant to the new Israel, he is saying, that in essence, the same thing. Keep my decrees and laws so it will go well with you. Do this so that when the storm comes, you can still stand. So that when the rains come, when the streams rise, and when the winds blow and beat against your house, you won't fall because your foundation is on the rock. And as we go today, I, I hope that the lines of that song the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. I, I hope that will stay with you. And I hope 
that as people who are being exposed to the word of God, as people who like the word of God, I hope that you will choose wisdom and that you will pursue a path of obedience that God is calling you to. I can call you to obedience. You can call each other to obedience through accountability relationships. But I think today that as you had this opportunity to examine the Sermon on the Mount and look at that abbreviated list, my, my hope is that the Holy Spirit has been challenging you about a matter of obedience. That perhaps the Holy Spirit is inviting you to explore, is this something, is this an area of disobedience in my life? Is this an area where I'm, I'm maybe not fully living out what God wants me to live out? And as we move into a time of communion today, I want you to come confessing and repenting to God, humbly, saying, Holy Spirit, examine me. Holy Spirit, what do I need to obey? And in church, I think sometimes it's overwhelming to know how to obey God. And when I get into one of those situations where I'm like, God, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what it looks like to obey you in this situation. The rule of thumb that I always use is obey what you know. Start obeying one thing and obey one thing at a time. And as you, as you obey that, then you can go on to the next one, then you can go on to the next one and just take it one by one and just, just obey what you know and the Lord will show you the way forward. So I invite you to come humbly to God today saying, challenge me, Holy Spirit. Let me be a hearer of the Sermon on the Mount and a doer of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came because he has such a new good life for us. And he invites us into being obedient to death with him. And the gift on the other side is life and resurrection. As you come today and receive the body and blood of Jesus, I invite you to do so humbly and with a prayer in your heart for God to help you obey in whatever he's put on your heart today. Come when you're ready.